We've been going through a brand new series called Resilient, and we've been talking through the book of 1 Peter, talking about how can we be Christians that bounce back during difficult situations. Uh, this time, I'm going to be talking about rebounding to be godly, which we talk about resilient goodness. Goodness, in a Christian way, is God-likeness. That's what goodness is. And so how do we as Christians rebound back to being good when things are not good around us, when our situation is brutal, when we have injustice happening, when things are not good in our environments, when things seem to be unfair? How do we be Christians that can resiliently bounce back and say, I choose God? I still choose him. I still want to be like him. I still want to follow him. How do we develop that type of spirit in us so we are not allowing our environment to dictate our character? Yeah? That's what we're trying to do. Does that sound like something maybe you need today? Yeah, I think we all need that stuff. Now, I want to begin our time together jumping into the Word of God and covering a context of where Pastor Brian left us off last week. Would you open up your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It's page 1015. If you're reading out of the ESV along with us, that's what I'm going to be reading out of. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what Peter said. Beloved, that's us Christians. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Well, that sounds fancy. It sounds important. sounds like pretty deep. But do you understand what I just read? You see, maybe you haven't been reading 1 Peter every day, right? Maybe you have had real life since last time we hung out. Maybe you haven't always been tracking on everything in Bible language. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to paraphrase and tell you what I heard there in kind of a Lance version, all right? So here's, here's what I think I heard. I think it'll make a little bit more sense. Although we as Christians serve God and live in a spiritual reality where he is on the throne and this life doesn't own us, it's not going to go well for us. It's going to be really tempting to fall into the reactive patterns of this world. We're going to want to act like they act, fight like they fight, live like they live, and do what they do, but that is not who we are. We have a new identity in Christ. We are different people. We are supposed to be holy and set apart. We are supposed to have different priorities, different worldview, different agendas. But the world doesn't know any of that, and they don't care. They can only see our attitudes and behaviors and come to their own conclusions. Therefore, we need to be extra careful about how we act and how we behave. They're going to blame us for every little thing, whether it's right or not. But if we can act like Christ, there's a possibility that they will be stunned into acknowledging that there's something different about us, something special. They will be forced to admit that God makes a difference. As bad as their actions and behaviors are, they will be shocked to see something different coming back at them from us. And maybe, just maybe, they might see that Jesus Christ's love is transformational and ultimately acknowledge that God is great. 
That's what I heard. Yeah, amen? Yeah, that, I think that's true, yeah? All right, so what does any of this have to do with us today? See, everything I'm about to talk about means how do you live when what's happening in your authority structure you don't agree with? Now, I got to imagine if we're going to talk about governments and institutions and we're going to talk about authorities at work and, and everything, I understand everything's going excellent. And you're going to have to just imagine if there was any challenges. I understand that it's not very relatable to your lives right now. I understand that everybody every day skips to work. I understand that. I understand that your lives are easy. Everything's cake. I understand. There's no concerns. But if we were in a situation where decisions being made were not in alignment with us, or maybe not in alignment with the Word of God, or maybe not in alignment with what we thought was healthy, what would we do? I think this has everything to do with us. I think that this is timely. I think this is right. I think this is good. I think that many of us feel like we are in an environment where maybe we're out of alignment with what decisions are being made on our behalf. How does a Christian act in that environment? This is what we're going to be talking about today. How do we become Christians who bounce back and are resilient when we are in unfair situations or struggling under bad leadership? I have to be honest with you that I was talking with the elder board this last week. I'm struggling to lead in this season. I'm struggling to lead this church in the last three years in a certain area. I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of opinions. I have a lot of things that I would like to guide and direct this congregation in, in some areas that step on issues, in some areas that step on politics, but I can't. I can't lead in this season, and here's why. Louder voices, even in the church, have already set up camps. When they set up camps, I realize I cannot speak because no one is willing to listen to nuance anymore. I can't begin to say something without everyone automatically assuming what I'm going to say next. I can't say anything that says, well, this is a little bit true and this is a little bit true. No one will allow me to say that. I say one thing, immediately there's a reaction. I can't lead. I can't talk about it because anything I'm going to say is going to further divide the church because I never got to finish my thought. I don't know how to lead in this time. Am I okay with everything? No, I'm not. Am I okay with some decisions being made? No, I'm not. Do I think that we as Christians should stand up and do certain things? Yes, I do. But I don't know how to communicate it in this environment. I'm simply not allowed to talk long enough without assumptions being made. So I don't know how to lead in this time. When things get heated, I don't, I don't know how much the world really knows or cares what the church is thinking, but I know that they're pretty clear there's a tension. I think that everybody in America understands that we are continually at a crossroads of are we going to continue down Judeo-Christian concepts or are we going to do more of a, an awareness of a new way of living and we're going to chase that way. Does that make sense? I think everybody's clear that, that there are some opposite sides pushing together. 
But when we get into those clashes, when we get into those tensions, when we get into the, yeah, I don't think that's what God wants, there becomes a challenge and a problem because the world is going to do what the world does. The world is going to lash out and push back and do whatever they're going to do. They don't carry the gospel. That's not their job. They get to just be who they are. They get to vent how they vent. They get to say what they say. They get to do it. They're not carrying the gospel. We're carrying the gospel. We don't get to do whatever we want. We don't get to say whatever we say. And what's so tempting is that when we see vitriol coming from one side, it's very tempting to say, I'm going to match it because you are, and we say that. I'm doing what I'm doing because you did something that you did. That's not how it goes. You see, the world's job is not to try to sift and sort the motivations of our heart. All they can do is see what we're pushing towards them. And if they see things that are ungodly, they don't care why. They just mark us as ignorant and ungodly. That's it. Yeah, but, yeah, but you, doesn't matter what they did. It matters what we do. And then we default to another position to justify our actions. We say things like, but I don't, I don't submit to this world. I have to obey God rather than man. I got a higher law than you. I don't allow the laws of this land to dictate. Man, I am a foreigner here. I am a sojourner here. I don't live here. My identity is in heaven. You don't get to own me. You don't get to tell me what I'm doing. I serve the king of kings and lord of lords. You got nothing to say over me. And we really get excited about that, right? Here's the problem. The freedom of our identity doesn't change our mandate to protect the witness of Jesus Christ. Oh, I get it. You got a lot of freedom. I'm going to keep pumping up how much freedom you have in Jesus. Problem is, you still got a responsibility. And that doesn't change. Bottom line is, I know you're tense. I know you're scared. I know you're frustrated. I share some of those, not all of those. But this isn't about us. We don't get to spend all of our attention, all of our energy controlling our environment. We actually are here for God's glory. That means that we have a different priority set. We have a different agenda. That as much as we would love to have everything go our way, we have a higher calling. And the higher calling is that along the way, we cannot dishonor the name of God. That's very important. We are Christians after all. Do we have freedom? Yes, we do. We actually serve the Almighty. As a matter of fact, that it doesn't even matter ultimately what everyone thinks. It really only matters what God thinks. We have an awful lot of freedom. We have a secured future. The Bible says that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are free from our sin and our baggage. It says that our future is secure. The Bible says that as Christians, we have all this glorious power and authority, and God has already called us chosen, and, and God is still saying we're precious even though we're broken individuals, and we have all this glorious freedom and power. But the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is still true. We must use our freedom for good. We must use our freedom for good. What do we do when we suffer unjustly? How do we handle it when life is unfair? What does it mean to be a Christian when everything's not going your way? That's 
what we're going to study today. Let's jump into our passage for today. And that begins in verse 13. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Let's pause for a moment. Is this the first time we've ever been told that we have to submit to human authority? Is this the first time we've heard that we need to submit to governing institutions in this land? No. There are seven different passages that teach the exact same thing. Paul the Apostle said it this way in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. What does it mean to be subject to? It means to obey. But how in the world are you supposed to obey if they're not doing the right thing? How are you supposed to obey a governing authority when it's out of alignment with the word of God? How are you supposed to obey an authority? It doesn't matter where the authority is. It doesn't matter if it's in the home. It doesn't matter if it's in work. It doesn't matter whether or not it's in society. How are you supposed to obey an authority you do not agree with? This is what we're talking about, right? Obey who? Every human institution, every authority, every local government, every national government. What if they're not good? Well, be one thing if Peter was writing during an awesome time. Anybody remember who's running the government when Peter's writing this? That's right, the Roman Empire. You know who was emperor? Nero. One of the worst leaders in all of history. One of the greatest persecutors of the Christian church. He will be responsible for the death of Peter the Apostle and Paul the Apostle. The two guys that just said, obey authority will die under that authority. One will have his head removed. The other one will be crucified upside down. I don't think they're talking during an easy time. As a matter of fact, we really worry a lot. Oh, our, our environment. We got religious persecution. We got, when your leader is smearing tar and pitch on living Christians and igniting them on flame and watching them burn to death, there you have problems. This is what was going on in this environment. And he's telling you to honor human institutions of government. That's craziness. What does that even mean? What's the role of governmental authorities? Do you have any idea? It just said it in the passage. Do you know what their job is? Their job is to take care of the people and make sure things are healthy, good, and right. That's their job. Now, we can all agree or disagree on how our current authorities are doing. Yes? All right. But that's their job. Do you understand that they're going to be held accountable by God for what they do? You go, well, they're not Christians. Doesn't matter. He is king of kings, lord of lords. Doesn't matter whether or not you acknowledge it or not, you will be held accountable for the job you do in caring for people. That's always going to be the case, right? 
So why are we obeying them? Because if they're not doing it right, why are we obeying them? He said, for the Lord's sake. He's calling to a higher level. He's saying, no, 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 I get for you, it's not good. What I'm telling you is there's something more important going on, and it has to do with the testimony and witness of Jesus Christ. In no way is he suggesting you're doing it because they have a great agenda and you need to support it. It doesn't talk about agreeing with it at all. It just says there's something bigger going on. Beyond our comfort is the honor of God's name. You can win an earthly battle, get what you want, and lose heavenly glory. Well, let's, let's tackle it head on. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I like to do things. Let's answer the question, when is civil disobedience justified? You all know what civil disobedience is? It means you say no to authority. When do you flat out just go, yeah, I'm not doing that? Well, I want to I talk about it, and I'm going to give you three principles, like a three-legged stool that you can sit on. I, I want to give you three principles on how to make determinations when you disagree with authority in your life. You ready? I'm going to write, you might want to write these down. I'll lay them out one by one. Here we go. Number one, we may reject a command. And I said reject, meaning, yeah, not happening. We may reject a command when it's in direct violation of Scripture or denial and dishonor of God directly. What I mean is, when Peter said we must obey God rather than man, he was saying when the government authority said you cannot share the gospel, you cannot be a Christian, and you must deny that you're a believer, he said, I'm out. I'm not doing that. I'm appealing to your boss, and I'm saying no. Does that make sense? If it doesn't directly violate Scripture, we have to shift to level two. But in that level one, I'm talking about it directly violating Scripture. You know what the challenge is about that? You have to know Scripture. Yeah. <laughs> and the problem is, if you don't know it well, you're going to say, it kind of says, hold up. <laughs> kind of says creates cults. Kind of says gets you in trouble. I'm not asking what it kind of says. I'm asking what it clearly says. And if you don't know what it clearly says, you might need to cool your jets and back up a little bit and go to level two. Yeah? So here's level two. Like this is the other leg on the stool. You ready? I believe that we push back. The church pushes back when anything is out of alignment with God's word or God's heart. We push back when it's out of alignment with God's word or God's heart. How do we do that? Well, it depends on your environment. If it's in the home, it's one way. If it's in your job, it's another way. If it's in school, it's another way. But in America, we're talking about government institutions. In America, we have channels whereby it is appropriate to push back. Now, not all places in the world have an ability to have a representative where you have assemblymen or you have senators or you have voting or anything like that. That's not all over the planet, but it is here. So I believe that anything that Christians see that is out of alignment with the heart of God, we are supposed to say something. I don't think that it's appropriate for the church ever to be a doormat. I don't think it's ever appropriate for the church to lay down and go, ah, it's all cool. It's not all cool. As a matter of fact, something is not in alignment with God's word. We should be the ones to say something. Our job is to be salt and light. That means we are a preservative 
of the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, now, I'm very much for taking a stand on issues and being very clear on disagreement about policies that contradict God's heart. But there's a third leg to the stool. You ready? The third leg is this. The problem isn't when, it's how. The problem is, here's what I mean. Almost all the problems with how Christians poorly interact with society are the methods and attitudes we use, not the premise we're speaking about. I think that a lot of things the church needs to stand up for are right. I'm just not great with how we're doing it. I would suggest to you there is a way to push back that leaves with respect, and there's a way to do it that leaves with disrespect. I don't think the world would expect that if the church truly believes something that they would just cave and say it's no big deal. I don't think that's actually earning respect. I think they would assume, yeah, you're probably not going to agree with me and you're going to push back. I respect that. But when we get nasty, when we are ungodly, when we allow evil, we lost the whole thing. We may have won temporarily, but we lost eternally. My number one concern in this season is that the church's methods and attitudes are inappropriate and we're dishonoring the name of God. I'm not so much concerned about what we're pushing back on, I'm concerned on how. Does that make sense? There's a really weird concept, not sure where we got it from, but it's almost like we believe that we're supposed to act one way when our suffering is fair and we can act a different way when our suffering is unfair. Here's what I mean. Man, I did something wrong in my job today and I got fired. Lord, I got to go through this trial. God, I'm going to try to glorify you in the process. I really blew it. I'm going to try to be a good example of you. That's very different than I was just working and I, they found out I was a Christian. They don't like me and they fired me. And now I can't provide for my family. And then all of a sudden we can go ballistic. Now all of a sudden we can act however we want to act. Now we can get all kinds of nasty. Now we can, because we say, but it's unfair. Do you understand there's no two different rules for fair and unfair? You are who you are. Doesn't matter what they do. How you treat other people says more about you than it does about them. You're going to consistently say, but you, but you, but you, it doesn't matter. Imagine if we did every argument with a mirror in front of our face. And you're like, man, that's a nasty, oh, that's me. <laughs> like, what is wrong with that person? Right? It's how. How are we doing it? Okay? So here's where Peter continues to move on. Verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. All right, very, very practical. I got to talk about freedom for a moment. Live as people who are free. Okay, so freedom is something that is a big deal in America, right? We got songs about freedom. We got commercials about freedom. We got stickers that say freedom isn't free. We got, I mean, we talk about freedom all the time. Everything is about freedom, freedom, freedom. Here's my problem. I don't think anyone knows what it means. Here's why. Here's what we want it to mean. I'm allowed to do whatever I want. 
That's what we want freedom to mean that actually does not exist. You go, well, I don't, I don't know if that's true. Oh, no, it's really true. Let's go through it. With God, do you have freedom to just violate his will? No, you don't. You go, well, I can. Just because he doesn't incinerate you doesn't mean <laughs> that he's cool with it, all right? No, you do not have the freedom to sin against God. That's not acceptable. Let's talk about America, right? Do you have the freedom to break a law? No, you don't. You'll be held accountable for it. You don't have the right to do whatever you want. And this is where things start getting tricky because we keep thinking that freedom means I get to do whatever I want to do. The problem is there's a bunch of us in the room. When do your freedoms collide with my freedoms? Isn't that the real problem? Because you have a freedom to punch me in the face. I have a freedom to not get punched in the face. So whose freedom wins? What freedom actually means is you get a chance to do some things you really like. That's what freedom means. I understand this is very depressing. I understand that many of you wish you chose another weekend to go to church. <laughs> but I've committed to you to be honest with you. And so you've got to understand the whole idea that we are free to do whatever we want doesn't actually work because they conflict. One freedom clashes with another freedom. Let's talk about abortion because it's not controversial. Recently, in Texas, there was an abortion law, and everyone was you know, trying to figure out what's right, what's right, what's right, and it's going through the court system and all that stuff. Here's the problem with issues like abortion. You have on one side, you have women going, hold up. You're trying to mandate as a governmental authority what occurs with me. That is a very creepy way of handling things because you're now trying to tell me what happens in my own body. So you got to back off because I have freedom. Now, all of a sudden, the other side goes, hold up. The little one inside you has freedoms as well. And you don't get to make a determination for their freedom just because it happens to be in your body. And everyone's arguing freedom. Well, whose freedom wins? This is the tension in our world. Whose allowance gets when, and that's what we fight about. But this whole notion that somehow God set us free and we're now autonomous beings and we can do whatever we want is not real. Here's why. And I know this is super insulting too. You and I are not smart enough or strong enough to be autonomous. God and Satan are way stronger and way smarter. So you'll get played the only question is, who are you serving? It's why the Bible backs up and says, you're either with me or against me. You don't get to be autonomous. You don't have the tools. Uh, answer me this. Can you ever make a decision with all information? Of course you can't. There's no way. How would you know that? How are you supposed to know the future? How are you supposed to know ramifications? How are you supposed to know how everything works? You and I can't get there. So we can't be trusted. And let's say you come up with the right decision. Do you have all the power in the world to implement your decision? You don't. So you're not a power player. You're a secondary character. There's no such thing as autonomy. There's no such thing as I get to do whatever I want. No, 
You either get to be played by the enemy or set free by God to follow him. And this is where it comes back. He keeps saying that we've been given freedom in Christ, freedom in Christ. You're like, I don't understand. What freedom did I get? If I'm still following somebody, is it really freedom? Prior to letting Jesus Christ die for your sins and being forgiven, did you know that you could not do anything good? Did you know that pre-Jesus, you cannot do good? You're like, that's not true. I got non-believing neighbors who are nicer than my Christian friends by a lot. They do way better stuff. They're super nice, right? Oh, I did not say that you couldn't be nice. I did not say that you couldn't do positive actions. What I said is it doesn't count. God will not count it as righteousness because motivation matters. If you didn't do it for him, it doesn't count. You may have done it for a lot of nice reasons. You don't get any righteousness from it. It doesn't count. When you get rescued by Jesus, he clears out the slate, takes out the innate sin in you, and you finally have the ability to do right. You now have the freedom to follow the Lord and blossom into the person he created you to be. That's the freedom you got. And trust me, the freedom is pretty intense. It's pretty awesome. What freedom do we have? Do you realize because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he died, the Bible says, and canceled the code that stands against you. That means there's a law of good and bad. He took that law of good and bad, fulfilled it on your behalf, canceled it, it no longer stands against you. There is no condemnation for any Christian. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the book of Romans says. It says that the grace is so intense that there is no action you're going to do in this life moving forward that will cancel your status as child of God. You have so much freedom because of the grace of God that you are secured moving forward in your future. You can lay your head on your pillow knowing you are accepted by your heavenly father. That's your freedom. If you could just wrap your mind around the extraordinary grace of God, you would be consistently grateful. So what does he say? Yeah, that's true, but you don't get to use it as an excuse you don't get to use it and take advantage of it. That's not who we are. You're like, how in the world would I ever take advantage of the grace of God? That's weird. Nope, not really. You ready? I'm a Christian, so I can post bad things about people online that I don't know because they stand against what I believe and what God wants. Oh, do you have freedom to do that? I can drink as much as I want wherever I want because I have freedom in Christ. Oh. I can sleep with my girlfriend or boyfriend because God's going to forgive me anyway. I can cheat on my taxes because the government isn't using my money right anyway. Hmm. You following me? Sorry if I stepped on your toes. Don't you dare take advantage of the grace of God. Because here's what you're saying. 
as long as I'm going to heaven, we're cool. I can do whatever I want, right? I'm still going to heaven, still got my ticket. Immediately when you say that, we know your relationship with God, and it's not good. You cannot, in your heart, say it's good that you're going to go to heaven, but you hurt the heart of God and be okay with that. If your sin doesn't bother you because you can get away with it, you don't have a relationship with God. And relationship is what it's all about. So Peter said, listen, yes, you are an amazing class of human being. You are no longer merely human. You are partakers of the divine nature. You are now glorious. You're attached to Christ. The Holy Spirit is in you. You're operating in power and authority that is unheard of in this world. But don't you dare use that as an excuse to be a bad guy. That's not how we live. That's not who we are. So here we go. He said, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Honor means respect. We're respecting who? Everyone, right? Let's make it personal. Someone's political viewpoint, someone's different theological stance, someone's disagreeable lifestyle, someone's poor behavior does not stop them from being everyone. Respect everyone. Why? Because every human being is created in the image of God, therefore they have God's stuff in them, and you don't disrespect God's stuff. There is no allowance for a Christian to be disrespectful to any other human being. Now, when it comes to the church, when it comes to brotherhood, when it comes to Christians, they're one step deeper. You're supposed to love them with an agape. It means that you are super seeing them as valuable, like you're gonna adjust your life because of them. Like you're gonna say, you know what, these are my family. I'm going to adjust because they're so important to me. You don't do that for the whole world, but you do that for your family. Then he says this, fear God, honor the emperor. Fear God. Fear means you have this reverent awe like, oh, this is the almighty. Like, I am, I'm a little nervous, a little hesitant. I know you're my dad, but you're kind of buff, and I don't know what to do. And, like, you can squash me at any moment, and I don't know what's happening. So I'm going to keep my head a little bit down. I know I'm not supposed to challenge you. I'm supposed to live in obedience. I'm, and no matter what, whatever you say goes, that is reverence and fear. That only belongs to God. Do you feel that way about government authorities? You do not. Only God gets our absolute allegiance. Only God gets our, I'm gonna alter everything for you. Human beings don't get that. But are you supposed to respect the authority? Yes, you are. Which authority? All of them. That's how it works. Pick it up in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not just to the good and gentle ones, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, that when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it and you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it and endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Let's talk about this. How do you push back appropriately on authority. There are healthy ways to push back and there are unhealthy ways. Unhealthy ways would be bribery. 
Extortion is bad, yes? But whatever we do, whatever Christians do, we must do so respectfully, and that means we're not going to be as strong or loud as the opposition. And I need you to own that. Your voice will be weaker than those willing to do anything and go all the way. I need you to own that. Because a lot of times Christians are like, yeah, but if I don't do what they do, I'm going to lose the battle. Yes, you probably will. You go, well, I don't like that. Oh, I get it. But isn't that the case in all of life? You're never going to get as good a grades as someone willing to cheat. Is that correct? You're never going to get as many clients if you're not willing to lie and cut corners. Is that correct? You can never compete with sin in the world. You got to be different. You're held to a higher standard. You're never going to get as many dates unless you lie on your profile. The bottom line is you have to realize that's the case. And you're like, well, that just makes Christians weaker. Hold up. No, it doesn't. Because here's why. When we default to self-preservation, when we step out of Christ-like behavior and step into, I'm going to control my environment. When we step out of being like Jesus and start being willing to be as nasty as we want to be, you know what happens? It's almost as if God goes, oh, you're handling it. Okay, I'm going to sit this one out. And now you fight your own battles. I'm going to ask you this. When things get really bad, do you want to fight your own battles? Okay, then get out of God's way. Because when you default into Jesus' place, you take a step back and God takes a step forward. And now he's their problem. You see, my concern in today's environment is that the church is trying to do it all themselves, and we're willing to do whatever it takes to advance our agenda. But if we keep stepping forward out of the posture of Jesus, are we not telling God, I got it? And God goes, all right, how's that going to work for you? Because I'm not going to rescue you out of it. I'm going to let you learn your lesson. It's not going to go real well, and you're going to smear my name. Then i got to go clean it up. What I would rather do is default into the position of Christ, have God step forward and become their real problem, pray through it, and use proper channels, but I still have God with us. That makes us a majority. I want the power of God, not just the power of angry people. Does that make sense? When he says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, he's talking about job scenarios. There's a financial uh, uh, transaction there. We don't all get to choose who we work for, right? And some of us got great bosses, some of us got lousy bosses, yeah? And when you got a lousy boss, what are you supposed to do? He said, well, I need you to obey them if they're good or if they're bad. Why? Because you're being hired to do that. It's what a job means. If it was awesome, do you realize you're being hired to do yucky things? If it was awesome, they would have done it themselves. You're like, man, I don't like this about my job. Nobody does. 
that's why you're getting paid. So when you step into that transaction, while you're in that environment, you still have to be a Christian. You still have to be you. Your environment should never control that. Part of our job here in this life is to deal with unfair situations. If this world was just supposed to be about Christians having awesome lives, it is a dismal failure. But if it's really about God getting glory, we're right on track. And so I'm going to answer a question that I think everybody needs to solve here. You ready? What does God get when his kids are hurting? Because this, this is a big question I think we all need to solve. It's a suffering question, is it not? When I begin to have horrific things happen in my life, here's where I default. God, why are you letting this happen? I thought I was your child. I would never treat my children like that. You can fix it, and you're not. Why not? I'm hurting here. I thought your word says I can call out to you, and you'll fix my problem. So let me ask you this. Why would God allow the suffering? What does he get from it? Yay, my kids are sad and my kids are hurting. That's not good. So what does he get out of it? Do you have an answer for that? You better. Otherwise, you're going to keep having a crisis of faith. Okay? Here's the answer. When we think about giving God glory, we always come up with win-win scenarios. Right? Here's what happened. God, yes, my son, I want to give you glory. Well, that's good. What are you going to do? I'm going to write a best-selling book. It's going to go across the planet. Oh, are you? Yep, but I'm doing it for you. <laughs> Interesting. Now, here's the problem with that scenario. The world would look at that and say, oh, you want to write a best-selling book? Me too. It's not necessarily Christian. Okay, here's another one. Lord, yes, son, I'm going to sing music for you. Really? What are you going to do? I'm going to be singing Christian songs, and it's going to go worldwide for you. Interesting. See, we always come up with win-win scenarios. God, this is really good for me, and it's really good for you. <laughs> the problem is the rest of the world looks at that and says, you're a Christian because it works for you. I don't need God. Sorry. I'm glad it works for you. That's cool. I don't need a new philosophy. Because there's no reason you should not be a Christian if everything's great. Here's my point. It is not until they see that Christianity isn't helping you, but you're a Christian because he's worthy. That's the only time glory comes out. I'm going to suggest to you that when you suffer, it's your one shot to do what you can do in this life because there's no suffering in the next. You are being watched by the world and by the demonic. And the demonic is watching you, and they are said to be accusers. And what that means is they're constantly chipping at God, going, look at your kids. They're a bunch of losers. 
Man, they say they love you. They're only doing stuff because you're helping them out. They're only doing stuff because they get stuff. Watch, anything that goes bad in their lives, they're like, oh, I'm not a Christian anymore. No, I don't like God, right? They always do that to you. You keep telling me that your kids are precious to you. Look at them. They're selfish. They're just like everybody else. Look at that one. That one's sinning. That one's sinning. That one's sinning. That one's sinning. And you know what? They're right. But then... One chooses to worship God in the most dire of circumstances and gets nothing out of it. And the tables flip. And God said, Lucifer, come here for a second. You see that one? That one's having a horrible time. Isn't this not the story of Job? Have you considered my servant Job? He's legit. No, he's not. He's only legit because he gets stuff from you. You hedge protect him. You handle all this stuff. You give him tons of stuff. He's super rich. He has everything that he needs. God said, all right, you think that's his heart? Take it away. Boom, 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 knock him down. And he keeps choosing God. And God said, Lucifer, do you understand what just happened right there? Yeah, you got embarrassed. And here's why. You, pinnacle of my creation. I made you more beautiful than everybody else. I made you stronger than everybody else. I ran the entire universe through you. You were supposed to be my best friend and my bodyguard. And what'd you do to me? You stabbed me in the back. And you had every power, every benefit, everything. You saw me in my holiness and you turned on me. See that person right there? They don't even know if I exist. They can't hear me, they can't see me, and they choose me. You know what that means to you? It means you should be embarrassed. It means that when they rise up, when I rise them up in resurrection, they're gonna judge you. That means that when they choose me, it shows that you didn't choose me and I send you into the lake of fire. What does God get when we suffer? He gets purified motives. And then glory rises. One of my life verses I had to pull out of the book of Job and it says, though he slay me, yet will I worship him. Because I thought if I could honestly say that as a Christian, then I was a true Christian. Because I wasn't serving him because of what I get out of it. I'm serving him because he's worthy. And that's what I care about. I walked into October with my wife being sick for five years and three months. The last two years, she has not had a day without a stomachache. I walked into October with chronic back pain and bad knee. I walked into October with our master bathroom needing to be remodeled because there was a leak that came through our ceiling into our downstairs and had a buddy that helped me pull apart the shower completely two times and we could not stop the leak. While we opened up the ceiling, we found out that the bathroom had three leaks, the bathtub, excuse me, and we were able to repair those, but ultimately we can't repair the shower. And if you pull out the shower, you have to pull out the pony wall. If you pull out the pony wall, you have to pull out the tub. And so you end up having to redo the entire bathroom. I walked into this with my daughter having health issues, my youngest daughter. That's how I walked into, no, into October. But then things began to go bad. 
Anybody have a list on your phone called stuff going wrong in October? <laughs> you have one of those? No? We can compare. So then, when October hit, we found black mold under the sink. I don't know if you know anything about black mold, but it's not good. Is it affecting my wife? I don't know, but it's been there for years. We only found it because it was down under a ledge underneath our sink by our trash can. We had to call the insurance company. They had to call out remediation services, plasticed off our whole entire kitchen, pull out all of our cabinets. We have no access to the dishwasher. We couldn't have access to the kitchen. They were working on it at the exact same time. All of a sudden, we found out that during the storm, another leak came through and dropped brown water through our ceiling, completely separate. We've now cut open that part of our ceiling because we can't tell where it's coming from. Had two leak detection experts come out, had roofers come out, they have no idea. Can't recreate it. So we don't know if it's going to happen again in the next thing, so we're not sure if we should close it up. Another leak happened out by our window. That one was easily fixed because we found out what the problem was right away. But in all this process, our flooring got destroyed. So now we have to redo all the flooring in the downstairs, right? Okay, then the engine light comes in on my daughter's car, and I'm taking it back and forth to get it repaired. Then the engine light comes in on my, on my wife's car. Then her rear view mirror falls off. Then the rear taillight goes out in my car. Then the disposal backs up in the sink. Then my daughter Andy has a kidney stone, has to go to the ER. Then we have a medication problem. While she's in the ER, her glasses break. Then the bathroom light blows out twice because of a bad circuit. Then the pool skimmer dies. Then the, then the uh, with new moisture shows up in another corner, and then while I'm talking to my wife, two rocks come off a truck and smash my windshield. And that you deal with when you're chronically hurt every day. You guys, I don't have an area of my life right now that doesn't have suffering. My family, my children, my body, my job. It's not awesome. I'm not here to tell you to be a certain way as if I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm telling you that you hurt too, I get it. But who are we gonna be? What type of people are we gonna be? I gotta make that call, yeah? I don't get it to just see how it goes. And I don't know why, I didn't do anything wrong for this. It's not bad stewardship. I didn't ask for rocks to come into my windshield. I didn't ask for any of this stuff. It's just one problem after another. Peter says, you know what? I still need you to be like Jesus. Verse 21, for this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten back, but continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly. When suffering comes on us suddenly, you're just gonna go off instinct. Who you are is who you are. When somebody cuts you off, what comes out of your mouth, that's where you're at. But you know a better way to deal with suffering is to prepare for it. 
It's coming. What are you going to be like? As we close out, I'm going to rapidly give you five things you need to do to prepare for suffering. Write these down because I'm going fast. Number one, develop a theology of suffering. You better figure out in your heart how God is still a loving father when everything is falling apart. You got to figure out that his love for you sometimes means your discomfort. You need to realize that God is trustworthy and you don't get to understand it all. You got to understand that he could heal you at any moment, but if he does not, he's still a good dad. You have to have a theology of suffering. Number two, determine your commitment to God. I don't suggest any of you get married without making the determination that you will not get divorced before you walk down that aisle. Because if you do not, life will push you to the point of divorce. That's it. So either you're gonna do it or you're not. What's your commitment level? Number three, determine your reaction. How are you going to suffer? What's your posture gonna be like? Because when everything breaks, are you still gonna worship? Number four, Determine your plan to survive suffering. Determine your plan to survive suffering. What happens is a lot of us fall into suffering and we go, I don't understand why I'm all alone. Nobody's walking with me in this. That's because you never developed a friendship. Because you never engaged with a small group or a missional community. You never committed to your church family. No wonder you're alone. We got to fix it today for when we hurt tomorrow. Number five, develop your prayer life. By the time you get to suffering, your prayers are going to go selfish. God, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. God, I hurt, I hurt, I hurt. Everything's going to be about you. If you haven't developed a prayer life deeper than that, that's all you're going to default to. And I think there's more. On Jesus' worst night, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating like great drops of blood, and he wanted his friends around him, and he wanted to pray. The Bible says angels came and ministered to him that night. And you know what? He walked out of that garden still heavy with the weight of the world on his shoulders, stressed out, but at least God and his angels were walking with him. And that made all the difference. So Peter finishes and says, what was the result of Jesus suffering for unjust reasons and doing it well? What was the outcome? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What was the result of Jesus being treated unfairly and doing it well? What was the result of Jesus dying unfairly but doing it well? The greatest act of glory to the Father the world has ever known. Suffering is your shot to embarrass the enemy and to show the world that God matters because they don't think he does. You guys, if I could fix my suffering, I would. I can't. It's not up to me but I can determine what type of person I'm going to be in the suffering, yeah? I think that's all God's asking for. Let's pray. God, you are glorious and majestic. 
What's going on in our lives, Lord, does not tell the whole story. God, you know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. My friends don't know what you're doing. Your other children here don't know what you're doing, but we trust you. We don't understand how it's going to be good. We don't understand that you're pushing us too far. We don't understand any of it, but we choose you. I don't care what happens, Lord. I only got one way to go, and that's to run towards you because I got nothing else. Only one Savior ever saved me. Only one God ever showed up. Only one Lord ever loved me like you. And I don't want to go anywhere else. God, we hurt, but we choose you. May the world take notice and the enemy be embarrassed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.